is my coffee we're done for. All right, well, good morning. Thank you all for being here as always. Um, I'm going to be just left of center just a little bit. Um, welcome to North Lake Bible Church. As always, it's our joy to open the Word of God, and always, as a reminder, and you're going to, if you you know, listen to me a lot, you're going to say, like, Ben, he says the same old things about the same old things. And you're like, cool, exactly. One of the things that we believe at North Lake Bible Church is that we have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture, and so that means that we ask the same question every week. Does anyone know the question that we ask? What does the Bible say? And we're going to ask this morning, what does the Bible say from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22? Matthew 22, 15 through 22. So go ahead and turn there. I'll turn there too. You'll probably be faster than me. Um, That's okay. My eyes are older. By the way, I have decided that there's one test of how old you're getting. And and so I'll, I'll pose this to you. Is your doctor or your optometrist older than you or younger than you? Older, yeah. See, I, I crossed that bridge a couple years ago when my healthcare professionals started being younger than me, and then I was like, wow, that's a, that was a telling thing. So this young optometrist said, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, your eyes are getting old. You need glasses a couple years ago. And I said, I want a second opinion. And, uh, and my wife agreed, and so I got glasses. Um, so Matthew 22, 15 through 22 is where we're going to be this morning. And, and we're going to see Jesus and the religious leaders. They're going to be having this discussion. And if you've been listening at all to the Gospels, like there's nothing surprising about our discussion this morning, right? The Pharisees, we're going to break it into four scenes, and, uh, or the scene kind of into four parts. And the parts go like this. The Pharisees are going to plan. Heaven forbid if they didn't plan how bad it would go, but they're going to plan, okay? And secondly, the Pharisees are going to go on the offense, They're going to try that, see if that works for them. Then they're going to go on the defense because their offense wasn't as great as they wanted it to be, right? And then lastly, the Pharisees are going to retreat. Now, that's kind of a spoiler alert that the Pharisees don't win this time. Now, quick show of hands, how many times do you think the Pharisees actually win when they go up against Jesus? Anybody? How's their their record? Are they like, yeah, yeah, they're like Ofer, like Ofer, it doesn't matter how many times they play. They're always losing against Jesus, and that's okay. We can know that going into this discussion, and we can still learn what we can see here in Matthew 22, because what we're going to see is not just about the Pharisees and Jesus having this verbal sparring match and seeing who's winning. What we're going to see is a timeless truth for you and I. Now, the title of our message this morning I, I hesitate to say it out loud, but the title of our message this morning is To Pay or Not To Pay. And it's not intended to be a dad joke, but it kind of is, right? Because it's not about hair loss, right? It's actually to pay like the verb, like should I pay or should I not pay, okay? All right, some of you don't get it, that's okay. Um, at the stage of your life where your healthcare professionals are younger than you, then you'll get this joke, okay? But right now we're going to look at what does it mean? Should we pay or should we not pay? That was the question that the religious leaders were going to be asking of Jesus. Um, And so what we find out is that this passage is more than just about taxes, though, right? It's about allegiance. It's about obedience. It's about loyalty. It's about authority, ultimately. Who is our authority? But it is a little bit about taxes, and so I have to ask a couple of questions to make sure I know my audience. Okay, so first off, I need everyone to participate with this one. Please raise your hand if you do not pay taxes. Raise your hand if you do not pay taxes. 
All right. I know some of you think you're participating, some of you don't. All right, now leave your hands up. The game's not over. Leave your hands up. You do not pay taxes. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever, if, if your hand is raised and you have never bought anything from a store, put your hand down? Okay. By the way, you guys need to learn something about taxes. Okay. And the first thing is, is that there is more than one of them. And there is one called sales tax. Have you ever paid this tax? Yes, yes. I know we live in a world where they don't even give you the receipt anymore, so you don't even know you pay sales tax. They're like, give us money, and you say yes, and then it's gone, and you don't know why. Okay, all right, so that's called sales tax. Now, someone raised their hand and described to me another kind of tax that you might get. Someone raised their hand. Oh, right here. Property tax. Property tax. And what is property tax? You have land, okay, yeah, and, and improvements and stuff like that. By the way, I'm, I'm convinced that some of you won't know the definitions of the terms that you use, and neither will I, and that's fine. What other kind of taxes are there? So we have sales tax and property tax. Yes, sir? Income tax. Income tax. And what is this tax? Tax on income. Just say that. <laughs> tax on income. Yeah, nailed it. All right, awesome, yeah. Are there any other kind of taxes? Or have we, have we hit the end of the line? There have been many more, yeah. Uh, life insurance is something. I don't know if it's a tax or not, but it's a thing. Yeah. Okay, there's like capital gains tax, and, and there's all kinds of taxes out there. But interestingly enough, we're going to learn about a new tax today in the Bible and in, in the Roman Empire at that time. It's called the poll tax. And by the way, it's okay if you don't know what taxes are. By the way, if you've ever heard your parents, they might say things like, the only thing true, certain in life is death and taxes. That's not a biblical phrase, by the way, but sometimes they say that, and particularly around late March or April. So if, if, you're, if your parents are just walking around the house shaking their head, you can just be like, oh, taxes again, right? And they'll be like, yeah. And you're like, oh, I know. And then, you know, you can move on, and you'll have had a great conversation with your parents, probably the longest conversation you've had with them all week. And that's, that's good, right? Because tax season is upon us, and so it's appropriate that we go here. Now you're thinking, well, that's great and all, but I don't care about any of those taxes. That's a parent problem. That's an adult problem. And I would say, that's great. But this passage is more than just about taxes. And so I think we need to look at it together. Here's our theme this morning, because it's about obedience. It's about obedience to God, to his word, and an understanding of authority. Here's our theme this morning. And for those that like to take notes, I'm going to say it at least twice, maybe three times. It's kind of long. It's got some big words in there, but I think they're all important. Listen carefully. Our theme this morning is this, to worship God faithfully. To worship God faithfully and honor all people appropriately. To worship God faithfully and honor all people appropriately. You're like, can these words get any longer? I've got a few longer ones. Let's see. Requires unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. Good thing we got a while to figure out what all those words mean. To worship God faithfully and honor all people appropriately requires unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. And what we're going to find out is that a lot of people get stuck on some of these topics. And they're not stuck because they're trying to figure out who else is in authority or not. They're actually stuck because they're trying to say, do I trust God's ultimate authority or not? And that's really important really important for you and I. Matthew twenty two fifteen. Let's read about some taxes together. Whew, this is a good topic. 
Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. By the way, denarius equals coin, all right? Just so we're not confused there. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Verse 22, And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Now remember, we've got four parts here. The first part that we're going to see is we're going to see the Pharisees' plan. Pharisees' plan, verse 15 Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. Now, the Pharisees needed to get together, and they needed to plot, because remember, they don't have a winning record here, right? Like, usually when they go to talk to Jesus, they're like, hey, I think I'm going to stump. Okay, just kidding, Jesus, I'll come back tomorrow, right? Like, like they're not great at stumping Jesus. They're not great at trapping Jesus, so they're like, I'm going to put all of our heads together, and we're going to think about this. We're going to plot about this. We're going to plan about this. And we're going to see if they can trap him. By the way, this word trap is like catching a wild animal in a snare. All right? They're trying to catch Jesus. They're plotting together. They want to trap him in what he said. They want him to say something that will incriminate himself. I should really stop that. I'm sorry. Incriminate means um, like get himself in trouble with bad guys. Right? Let's go with that. They, they wanted to incriminate him. They wanted to catch him in his words so that he would be caught. And we know this, by the way, because we see in Luke 20, verse 20, the same passage. It says, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous. Spies who pretended to be righteous in order they, they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. Now, this begs an important question. What are spies? I need some help. So someone needs to raise their hand and tell me, what do we know about spies? Okay. Ooh, hiding and watching. That's good. Remember it says they were watching and then they went off and plotted and came back. So a little hiding, a little plotting. Okay. Ooh, okay, all right, they sneak in, and I think I'm going to stop right there, because I think you said the most important part. They go in, and they make themselves look like the people that they're a part of, right? What these Pharisees are doing is they're not going themselves. They're going to send their disciples. They're going to be like, all right, we need to pick somebody that Jesus hasn't seen this week. All right, you look inconspicuous. All right, we're going to send you in. You're going to pretend to be a disciple of Jesus. You're going to pretend to be righteous. You're going to pretend to actually want to know what Jesus is saying and what Jesus cares about. But really, we're going to trap you. We're going to go back and tell our authorities, and we're going to throw Jesus in prison. It says they pretended to be righteous, right? Luke says that they wanted to catch him in a statement so that they could turn them over to the rule and the authority of the governor. What, what did the governor in those days do? Like, if, if the, someone sent them a guy, and they're like, hey, this guy, not really doing what you say. What did the governor do in those days? Do you know? Any ideas? Like, maybe he, like, wagged his finger, like, extra hard. He <laughs> was like, I don't think you should do that again, right? Any ideas? In prison or killed him? Did you want to add to that? Yeah. 
imprisoned and killed. Okay, all right, those are good things. Like governors in those days had a lot of power, and they really didn't have a lot of um, patience with people that weren't like making them look good in front of other people. So they thought, we're going to turn this Jesus guy over to the governor, and then ha, 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 we'll never see him again. This was their plan. And now they had a great plan. I mean, they, this was a good plan, right? They tried other plans. That one didn't work. This plan, ooh, it's going to work because we have spies on our side. All right, pharisaical spies, let's go. It's time for Pharisees on the offense, part two, verses 16 through 17. And they sent their disciples to him, that is Jesus, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And then Mark, in his passage, adds this. In Mark 12, 15, he says, Shall we pay or shall we not pay? These Pharisaical spies, which just sounds like this logical conundrum anyway, but anyway, these Pharisaical spies are going in after Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, I need to know. Like, it's about to be tax season next week. Should we pay or should we not pay? I just, I need to know what to do. They sounded so innocent. They sounded so sincere. They sounded so righteous. Help me, Jesus. But they weren't there to be righteous. They weren't there to actually figure it out, right? And they weren't going alone either. They took these guys called the Herodians with them. Does anyone know anything about those guys? I know about as much as about the Herodians as I do about taxes. But I do know this, that Herodians, the first five letters are Herod, okay? So one of the things that we know about the Herodians is that they were sympathetic to the Roman rule a little bit. So this is the way that this plan is going to work. They're going to say, should we pay or should we not pay? Now, these spies think that they're asking a yes or no question. And this is what they hope is going to happen, is that Jesus will answer yes or no. That would be easy, right? This was a good plan. If he says, yes, you have to pay taxes, then the Pharisees are going to be like, all the Jews will now hate you because you are paying taxes to the evil Roman emperor, and no one will like you anymore, Jesus. We've caught you in our plot. And then they're like, oh, but what if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes. Oh, perfect. I have my friends, the Herodians. They're going to hide in the crowd, and they're going to yell, and they're going to be like, gotcha. And when Jesus says no, because they're going to be like, oh, well, this Jesus guy, he's causing an uprising. He says that we shouldn't follow the Roman Empire. He says we don't need to do those things. By the way, this happened in about 86. There was a guy named Judas. Lots of Judases in, uh, in um, that area at the time. And uh, that didn't go well. We hear about that in Acts 5. But, um, but this was their plan. They're like, hey, we're going to take these guys along. And if Jesus says no, then these guys will be mad. And if Jesus says yes, then these guys will be mad. And this is a great plan. And it happens to be about taxes, by the way, which is interesting. But, you know, the plan is to trap Jesus. And the, this is what they say to him. Did you see what they called him? 22 verse 16. It says, teacher. Oh, once again, oh, great teacher. Oh, great rabbi. I would love to hear what you have to say. Please teach us your students because we, we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom. But then they say some very interesting things. They say, teacher, we know that you are truthful. They say a couple things about Jesus. They say they start by saying, we know that you are truthful. And this is what they're saying. They're flattering Jesus, but interestingly, they're saying some very important things. Okay? Very important things. They start by saying, we know that you are truthful. And what they're really saying is when they say, we know that you are truthful, we say, everyone here knows that you're truthful, Jesus. 
Everyone here knows that. It's a common understanding. Everyone that's ever seen you is like, hey, that Jesus guy, like he's always truthful. Which I think is an important question that you should ask yourself, and I'm going to ask myself, is that what do people know about you? What's a common understanding about you? Is it that you're truthful? If I ask your mom and dad, it's like, well, what, what do we know about? Would you be truthful? What would your classmates think? What would your teammates think? Would they say, like, everybody knows Mr. Ralston. He's truthful. Everyone knew Jesus. They said he was truthful. Would they say that about you? Would they say that about me? I think that's an important question that we need to ask. They said that about Jesus. And on the one hand, they were flattering him. But on the other hand, they said it because everyone believed it to a point, right? What else did they say? They said, we know that you are truthful. Jesus was one who spoke things that are true. He says, we also know that you teach the way of God in truth. It's common that we, when we ask you questions about what does the Bible say, what does the Old Testament say, what does God say, how do we live in a way that pleases God, we think that Jesus usually tells us what is true, which is good because you really don't want to go to someone and ask him a question if you're like, yeah, that guy always lies. Not helpful. But they're going to Jesus and they're saying, we know that not only is Jesus true in what he says, but when we ask him, what does it mean to walk in the way of God? It's in truth, which is good because they're about to ask him a question that is going to compare authorities. Really, is really what it's going to do. Who's authority? What's it about? And then lastly, what do they say about Jesus? They say, Jesus, this is a good one. Look at this with me together. Verse 16, it says, you defer to no one. Jesus was not one who altered or changed his behavior or his opinions or his speech based on his audience. Think about that for a minute. Like, let's say you walked in this morning. I'm going to give you just a hypothetical question. And one of your friends is like, hey, man, what did you do yesterday? And you'd be like, oh, dude. you." And then Mr. Ralston's like, hey, what did you guys do yesterday? You'd be like, Nothing. Right? Right. We change our behavior, right? Based on who's around us. We change our words based on who's asking the question. This phrase could also say, Jesus was anxious about nothing for no one. That sounds weird, but he was never nervous to say anything in front of anybody because he wasn't changing his words based on who was listening. All right, we're going to jump back into class participation for just a moment. Have you ever been in a situation where you acted differently because you were worried about someone else's opinion? Have you ever acted differently because you were worried about someone else's opinion? I mean, I know the answer to that is yes, because if I was your friend asking, you would make eye contact with me. But because I'm the teacher asking, you're not making eye contact with me. Oh, look at that. I see eyes again. That's great. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You know what? I'm just going to answer this for everybody. The answer is yes, 100% for all of us. And the reason I know that is because the Bible says that, that um, no temptation has overtaken you, but those, that which is common to man. So I'm going to tell you a story about myself, because I could tell you stories about you guys, but that would be weird. So I'll tell you a story about myself. It was a little more than 10 years ago. I was living in the great state of Indiana. That's where my family was living at the time. And it was Sunday morning. And I walked in on Sunday morning. And uh, one of my dear brothers in Christ and dear friends, Paul, was like, hey, Ben, how was your weekend? 
I was like, oh, man. Like, it was great, you know. The Lord was gracious. The weather was clear. We had some projects to do outside yesterday, and uh, we was able to get the kids outside, and we do these projects, and it was, it was just fantastic. I'm just so thankful for that. And it was just one of those just benign conversations. How was your weekend? And I told him. But that was Sunday morning. See, then I woke up and it was Monday morning. And I walked into my workplace. And not everybody in my workplace knows and loves Jesus. They said, Ben, how was your weekend? I was like, eh, you know, it was, it was fine, you know. Um, did some work outside. I mean, the weather was nice and accommodating, so that was cool. Um, got to hang with the kids. What was different between those two conversations? Someone tell me. I didn't mention God. True story, by the way. As an adult, unlike Jesus who deferred to no one, Ben Scarborough cares about the opinions of other people. And I change my words, and I change my behavior. And the very next time, it was a little over 10 years ago, I remember the very next week I saw my brother Paul and I said, Paul, I said, let me tell you something that happened to me this week. I said, for the first time, God just stuck his finger on my heart and he says, what do you think you're doing? And I said, I want to be the guy that has the same conversation every day of the week. Doesn't matter who's asking. Doesn't matter what the question is. Because heaven forbid that me and my sinfulness on Sunday would act all spiritual in front of my brother Paul. And on Monday, I would run in fear from people that I thought, what will they say about me if I talk about God, if I talk about Jesus? And I'll tell you what, God is good because he's given me a lot of boldness in the last 10 years. But you know what? I still defer to people. There are still times when I change my words based on who is there. And my guess is you are not that unlike me either. It's hard, but Jesus was not that way. And they said, Jesus, we're about to ask you a hard question. And we know that you're going to answer it the same way. It doesn't matter whether we got spies or Herodians hiding in the audience ready to catch you. We know you, Jesus. You're going to be truthful. You defer to no one. By the way, my prayer for you this week, my prayer for me this week, is that we would have boldness in God, that we would answer the same question the same way every single day. And by the way, it has been so neat to see people in my workplace respond to that. You know how many times they've like punched me in the face and like, you know, did like an atomic elbow? Like, no, they don't do that. It's actually provided great opportunities just to talk about Jesus. Just to talk about Jesus. And all I had to say was, Lord, I just want to be faithful that when someone on Monday says, what did you do? I'm like, well, you know, I took my family to church on Sunday morning like I usually do. We had a Bible study on Sunday afternoon in my house, and, and we had some friends over, and it was, it was just a great, a great weekend. And there are some people that will listen to that, and they'll be like, oh, didn't need to hear that. But there's some people that will ask. They'll say, oh, well, what does, what does that Bible study look like? And then I get to talk to them about Jesus. And I'm so thankful that God gives me the strength to do it because of myself, I wouldn't do it. I'm not that brave. I'm not that bold. Galatians, Paul writes this, Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, You have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ today, you have the gospel in your heart, and God says, I have entrusted it to you, not so that you can go out and please men, not so that your classmates can like you more, not so your teammates can like you more, so that you can please God with your whole life as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And you know what? That's hard. That's hard. It's hard for me, and I think it's probably hard for you as well. He says, you're truthful, you speak the way of God in truth, you defer to no one. And then he kind of wraps all that up with this at the very end. He says, in verse 16, he says, for you are not partial to any. You're not watching out for other people's appearances. The ESV says you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus is not swayed by appearances. Me, I'm swayed by appearances. I, I got to fight it all the time. I got to take those thoughts captive because I, I, I like what people think about me at times. And I got to tell Jesus, forgive me for that. Jesus wasn't. He wasn't swayed by appearances. He was faithful to the truth of God's word. He was faithful to the truth of God's word. And then they say all these things. By the way, we know, Jesus, you're true. You speak the way of God and true. You defer to no one. You're not going to change your answer because of who's here. But because of that, you know what that reminds me? What do you think? What do you think, Jesus? You know, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, I have this question, Jesus, and I'd like your answer. What, what do you think, Jesus, do you think we should pay the tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay the tax to Caesar? Now, the poll tax is a great tax, right? The poll tax is one of those taxes that was imposed on the people. It's not sales tax, not income tax, definitely not life insurance. Um, well, maybe. I don't know. Um, but the poll tax was when they took a census of the people in the entire empire. And the reason why this particular tax was the most um, offensive to the Jews is because it was basically paying to be a participant in the Roman Empire. That's, that's kind of how they viewed it, right? Like, Hey, the Roman emperor counts all of the subjects, and you all pay for the privilege of being in my empire. Congratulations, you're one of my loyal subjects. And the Jews didn't like that because it reminded them that they were not a free nation. They were an enslaved one, an enslaved nation to Rome. So they weren't very keen on this, and so they, they did all this, and they threw down, and they said, Jesus, what, what do you think? Should we pay this poll tax to Caesar or not? And, um, and that's how we end verse 17. And then we get to verse 18, and we hear the but Jesus. And this is where the Pharisees should just be like, oh, we'll just leave now, right? Like, but Jesus, because very quickly, these Pharisees that were on the offense, the Pharisees are now on the defense. Listen to this. But Jesus, verse 18, perceived their malice, their wickedness, their evil intent, right? He saw right through it, and he says, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. By the way, Jesus wasn't surprised by this. He wasn't surprised by these people. He wasn't surprised by these spies pretending to be righteous. He says, why are you testing me, you, you hypocrites? Now, at this point, Jesus really could have just left if he wanted to. I feel like that, 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 that's his prerogative, right? He's like, you guys aren't actually here to listen to the answer to the question, so I'm just going to leave now. You guys are bold-faced liars, and I've got other things to do, like prepare for, you know, dying for the whole world, right? But Jesus loves the whole world. And so he actually answers the question, which I think is very gracious of Jesus. I don't think I'd have been as patient, but then again, I'm not Jesus for a lot of obvious reasons. So he says, show me the coin. Show me the coin. Now, does anyone have a coin on them this morning? Anybody? Anybody coin? 
<laughs> this is hilarious. I just, I love living in the 21st century. <laughs> All right, that's okay. That's okay. Have you ever looked at a coin? Someone, oh, you have a coin. All right, let me see your coin. Let me see. All right. I, I promise to give it back. Okay. All right, can you, do you know who that is? <laughs> this is this is a funny story. Okay, all right. No, it's not Abraham Lincoln. By the way, that's your son. Um, anyway, no coin. <laughs> we can't recover from this. Okay, it's the dime. No one knows who's on the dime. It's the bald guy. It's the it's Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Um, anyway, and if I'm wrong, then it's recorded for all eternity that I got it wrong. <clears throat> But there's a person's face on this. And I don't know why we started this tradition, but that's what we do. We put faces on our money. Like, that's pretty cool. But they put Caesar on their money, right? So they had this coin. They said, show me the coin. And they brought him a coin. And it was probably their silver or gold because only Caesar was allowed to do that. If you had a, a coin that was minted in Israel at the time, it didn't look as fancy for reasons that the Roman Empire made sure everyone was aware of. But their coin had Caesar on it. And it usually also had some words on it. It wasn't the same for every Caesar. This would have been Tiberius Caesar, by the way. But there would have been words that would have basically said, Caesar is God. That's kind of what they did. They said, hey, I'm going to put my face on money, and I'm going to say I'm God. I own all the money. I own all the people. I am God. And so for the Jews to even hold a coin, for some of them to even have a coin that had his face on it, was just blasphemous. And the fact that they had to use those coins to pay the poll tax was just unthinkable for many of them. But that's the coin that they had. And this is the question is, are you going to subject yourself to that? But this is what Jesus says. Listen to this. He says, show me the coin. And then he says, who is on it? They say, Caesar. He says, then then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Now, from that sentence right there, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's, we can, we can surmise a couple of really quick things. And they're going to seem simple, but I think they're kind of important. And this is that Jesus recognized Caesar, and Jesus recognized God, and he recognized that they're two distinct entities. Now, I know that sounds like that shouldn't be a big deal, but it kind of was, right? Because they said, Caesar is God. So Jesus said, Caesar and God. He said, God is not Caesar and Caesar is not God. The other thing that we can recognize from this simple sentence, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's, is we can recognize that there are things that we can render to Caesar and there are things that we can render to God. And doing both of these is not inconsistent with the other. By the way, this was the whole trap that the Pharisees had laid. They said, you either have to pay taxes to Caesar or you have to honor the God of the Jews. It's an either or. And Jesus says, no, you guys have missed the boat. This is not an either or question. I like to say this is a both and. This is a both and. Jesus said that you can render to Caesar and render to God and doing both of those things is not inconsistent with the other. By the way, very relevant to the day and age that we live in today in American Christendom. It doesn't have to be an either-or question. You can both honor and respect Caesar and honor and respect God at the exact same time. And actually, I would argue that we're going to get there in a second. You have to, because that is what God calls us to. One commentator wrote this because he has fancier words than me. He says, he therefore answered the question by demonstrating that government does have a rightful place in everyone's life and that one can be in subjection to government and God at the same time. 
Another commentator wrote this, Christian religion is no enemy to civil government. (laughs) Print that on a t-shirt, see how many you sell, right? (laughs) Matthew Henry, did you hear that? Christian religion is no enemy to civil government. Wow. You see, it's unfortunate in the Christian life we create these false conflicts. That's what we do, right? We create these conflicts. We say, hey, by the way, you can't pay taxes to Caesar and follow God, can you? That would be crazy. And Jesus said, "Um, yeah, you can. You can. Now, you may be thinking, well, I understand how they could pay taxes to a Roman emperor, but have you looked around? Do you know what our taxes go to? Do you know what our taxes go to? You have no idea what our taxes fund, what they support, what they whatever. And I would say, in all fairness, I'm not a great historian, but I know like this much about Rome and the Roman emperor. And that poll tax was funding a Roman army that was creating, committing heinous crimes all over the planet. And Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, knows that when he says these words and when God recorded them for all eternity. Jesus declares that all authority has been established by him. So Jesus is not surprised by rulers or how they behave. Tiberius, Caesar at the time, like our current president. By the way, the name Caesar is always confusing. Everyone was called Caesar back then. Um, This guy was Tiberius. Um, But Tiberius, just like our current president, just like every other human ruler in all of history, was what? Sinner. They weren't perfect. They didn't rule perfectly. They didn't have a perfect kingdom. They didn't have a perfect empire. And yet, God gives us the words that he gives us. Let me tell you something. If you are waiting for a perfect kingdom, a perfect king, a perfect ruler, a perfect nation before you fulfill God's commands... You're going to be waiting a long time. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't care about Caesar. I don't even care about our government. I'm like 16, maybe at best, right? I don't even know what those things are. If you are waiting for a perfect mom or dad before you obey them like God's word commands, you're going to do a lot of sinning against God. God knows your mom and dads aren't perfect. He knows your church leaders aren't perfect. He knows your government leaders aren't perfect. But he's given commands to you and I about the authority placed over us. This passage is more than just about taxes. It's how do we respond to the authority that God has given in our lives. By the way, if the coin had Caesar's inscription on it, and he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's, what has God's inscription on it? creation. I think we can get a little bit narrower. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And you know what he calls us to do? Then when Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus makes us a new creation in Christ, you know what he does? Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Ephesians 4.24, and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You and I need to give our whole selves to God. 
everything. And while we're doing that, we might reach into our pocket and find a coin and render it in payment of our taxes. You see, we don't go through our day and sometimes we render to Caesar what is Caesar's and sometimes we render to God what is God's. It's not like these are disparate activities, right? We are going through our day and we're giving our whole selves to God. Because He is our ultimate authority. Remember, we had that really long theme at the beginning and it ended with this, an unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. If God is our ultimate authority, then we're obeying Him all the time and then we bump into a government official and we we honor them and we respect them and we bump into mom and dad and we obey them and we respect them and we bump into our church leaders and we obey them and respect them. Why? Because they've earned it? No, because God says it and God is over all. This isn't about taxes. This isn't even about understanding really these other authorities it's about understanding god's authority because because i'm I'm convinced that most people that struggle with these concepts even adults they're not struggling with i wonder if the government should have that authority or not or i wonder if church leaders should have this authority or not by the way i've had some crazy conversations the past couple of years conversations where men that i love who i believe are brothers in christ looked me in the eye and said that government can't tell me to do that And in the very next breath, you know what they said? They said, and the elders can't tell me to do that either. I'm not going to get into that conversation because, whew, that'll get me in trouble. But what I will say is this, is that ultimately we need to understand who our authority is. And our authority is first and foremost God alone. God alone. Romans 13 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. If you're wondering, I wonder if God really meant to give me that uh, governor or that king or that mom or that dad. The answer is yes. You can stop wondering now. God's Word says it. I believe it. All authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. And then this is what he says. In case you're confused about God's opinion on this topic, verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God says, I put all these authorities up. I establish them. And I have given you clear commands in Scripture. I challenge you to follow after them. I would say this, just as refusing to obey your parents is refusing to obey God's commands, refusing to submit to the authority God has established over you is refusing to obey God's commands. It is not obey God or pay taxes to Caesar, but rather pay taxes to Caesar because you obey God. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus threw down. And you know what the Pharisees and the Herodians did? I think any of them jumped up and said, gotcha. Jesus? <laughs> no. The Pharisees retreat. Verse 22. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. They're like, ah, that was interesting. Uh, I'm going to leave now. Maybe go plot some more. <laughs> that one didn't work out. They went away. One commentator says this, one would have think one would think that they should have been amazed and followed him, been amazed and submitted to him, but no, they were amazed and left him. There are many in whose eyes Christ is marvelous and yet not precious. They admire his wisdom but will not be guided by it. His power but will not be submit to it. They went their way as persons ashamed and these Pharisees made an inglorious retreat. The stratagem being defeated, they quitted the field. Matthew Henry writes, 
Jerome, one of the early church fathers, says, they, ought, they who ought to have believed did but wonder at his great wisdom that their craft had found no means for ensnaring him. Instead of believing Jesus, they're like, man, that guy is good with the words and stuff. He's good at not getting caught in a trap. He says, they went their way, carrying away their unbelief and wonder together. Let me tell you this, as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit. I think the saddest thing would be this morning is if you and I walked away and be like, you know what, that was some interesting stuff. That was really cool. I mean, you see how Jesus did that? He's like, hey, look, a coin. It's got a face on it, you know. And uh, Renard Caesar was, he was the guy was God. I, I didn't see that twist coming. That was, that was something else. That Jesus, he's always good like that. But we didn't believe. See, the Pharisees listened. They heard it. They marveled. They wondered. And they left in unbelief. My prayer would be that that would not be true. Right? Because that wasn't the point. The point was not that Jesus was good at word games. The point was this, that Jesus had a timeless lesson for us. And he said that to worship God faithfully and to honor all people in authority appropriately requires unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. Just like Jesus deferred to no one, when you and I are faced with the truth of God, we must be faithful to it. We must be committed to it unwaveringly so. By the way, if you actually take the truth of this passage and go out and, and walk in obedience to it, I can tell you two things. First off, there's going to be people that are unbelievers that are going to be like, you're crazy. And second off, there are going to be people that claim to know Jesus Christ that are going to say, you're crazy. I know because I've heard it. They're going to say, how can you claim to know Jesus Christ and pay taxes? How can you claim to know Jesus Christ and dot, dot, dot? They're going to fill in the blank, and they're going to say, how can you do that? And you're going to say it's because of an unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. By the way, in case you're wondering, verse, Romans 13 goes on, because why should it stop there? Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Verse 6, for because of this you pay taxes. Why? For conscience sake. Not because, like, we need new roads. Not because we need a stronger armor. You do it for conscience sake. Because they are the authority that God has established. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Verse 7, Romans 13. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. By the way, at the end of Paul's life, Paul was challenged with a bunch of crazy things, right? He was, I mean, remember that, that Paul guy? Like, all right, quick, quick quiz. Raise your hand if you think Paul did these things. Uh, got beaten. Okay. Uh, shipwrecked. Lost at Parcheesi. Okay, just make sure you guys are listening. Um, almost left for dead. Yeah. Imprisoned again, and then again, and then again. Yeah, I mean, this was Paul, right? This is what he said, Acts 25, 8, while Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. And he did it while proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that would listen. Did you hear what he said there? By the way, what about that guy, Peter? I mean, that Peter, he was kind of a quiet, just kind of reclusive individual. He never really wanted to get out there in front of people, make any noise, whatever. Peter have some troubles? Peter ever get thrown in jail? Yeah, yeah. That's what Peter said, First Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do what is right. For such is the will of God. By the way, if you're ever asking yourself, I wonder what the will of God is for me? 
for such is the will of God. 1 Peter 2, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That you could put on a shirt and sell. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Why do we do those things? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, if we are going to worship God faithfully and honor all people appropriately, it requires an unwavering commitment to God's ultimate authority. We are here because God's word has declared it to be so. If God's word did not declare it to be so, I could not stand up here and say it. But God's word has said it, and so I believe it, and you and I must as well. Don't be like the Pharisees. They heard Jesus' message and they said, rats, we lost again. Let's go come up with another plan. Be like Jesus' disciples. They followed him. In the case of Peter and Paul, they followed him unto death, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming submission to the authorities that God had placed in their lives. Let's do that this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Father, I just pray that we would be faithful to submit ourselves to you, to your word, to what it declares, to what you have written, that we might honor you, that we might please you. Father, we might not be like the Pharisees that are just always trying to get a word in to trick you up, to trip you up. The Christian life, the Bible, the Word of God is not about just funny things or interesting things or weird things or novel things or marvelous things. It is the words of life written by a holy God who loves us, who has sent His Son Jesus for us. Might we put our faith and trust in Jesus this week? Might we submit ourselves to Your authority? Might we walk in a way that would honor You and please You? as we interact with all people in Christ's name. Amen.